welcome to this week's episode of Is It a Holiday or Are You a Foreign Correspondent? <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, well, I'm still kind of like, I can't believe I'm back in the studio. I feel like my ma- mic's not even on. Can you check the levels? Babe, no, we can definitely your mic is on. Oh. You're coming through loud and clear, yes. my, my lovely. I'm paranoid, guys. Two weeks away from the studio and... <laughs> it's all, like... your, all your performance craft has gone out the window. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, like who riding am I? a bike. <laughs> Except I don't know how to ride a bike. Not joking. <laughs> uh, it's like driving a car. That I do know. Thank Yes, and thank you for the lift this evening. Yeah. That was nice, being a passenger on the way in to uh, the studios, which, good segue, come to you from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation here in East Brunswick. Always was, always will be. Uh, I am Jess Lilly. This is Spin Cycle and I'm in the studio with um, Crikey Reporter Charlie Lewis and wonderfully, as you have heard, our best buddy is back, the age reporter, (laughs) (laughs) Najma Sambul. Hi, I'm back. It is I. (laughs) I've risen from the ashes. (laughs) Just immediately the chaos levels of the show have gone up like 30%. It's great. And we're all delighted. Yeah. yeah. Um, How was your travels across the seas? No, you didn't even do anything. You just neglected us. I just worked and worked and worked. So nothing exciting to tell the girl has been working working it mm-hmm. um so uh in a few minutes i've got a very unnecessary um paragraph in there which always annoys me oh no that's actually a really <laughs> valid paragraph because we are promoting our podcast now every week because yes. it's 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 happening every week um spin cycle triple r look for it on all your good podcast channels if you uh uh, you know want to listen to us from the future in a few minutes we're going to be joined by washington post correspondent foreign correspondent michael miller who's based in sydney to uh, answer our questions about what the hell a foreign correspondent reports on from australia precisely and the asia pacific so that's a big one to cover so Mm. It would be so exciting to have a chat. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to getting some insights about what it is to be a foreign correspondent in a country like Australia um, and what it is that American audiences need to know. And, and yeah, it's, I think it'll be a fascinating chat. Yeah, definitely. So what's news this week, guys? Come on. I feel like I'm a guest. <laughs> <laughs> no, babe, you have to take some responsibility for no, what's I've happening done some here. Prep. <laughs> I don't know. Do we even have time for news? Should we just... Well, we can talk about the Saudi sisters and how that's been covered. So Mm -hmm. for listeners, if you have been tuning in to the news, um, you will have known that there was this kind of horrific case that happened um, about a week ago. It's really sad. Yeah, it was really sad. Two Saudi sisters in Sydney, um, their bodies were found decomposing in a flat. um, And, yeah, it had been a month um, since they were alive, and yeah, it was. It's very horrific. Now it's kind of a lot of reporting coming out. Quite a lot of speculation, a lot of assumptions. You know, why were the sisters here? You know, did they seek asylum because they were leaving an oppressive regime? All of these kind of questions, and kind of um, people are trying to point some similarities between what's go- what's happened in um, countries like the US of Saudi women fleeing and then you know being murdered by their family. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case here. Police have ruled that out. They've ruled out the family as suspects, but there's still a real focus in the reporting on um, the Saudi angle of all of this, which I'm finding to be quite problematic. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because um, there are those two sis- those two images, the sort of mugshots of the sisters side by side, which seem to accompany every single article about this. And um, the reporting just seems to be a little bit all over the place yeah. and just sort of well, yeah, no, it's, clutching. It's, yeah, at- it's, it's a classic example of a story... Um, that in the absence of a lot of very much established facts, yeah. which is all we really need to know about what is, you know, obviously a, a terrible situation, in the absence of, of any kind of established fact on that, we are getting a lot of conjecture and mm. a lot of hearsay. And I'm not sure what value that is. And, and also, I mean, we've, we've talked a bit about how this is the kind of reporting you only really see attached to dead, conventionally attractive young women. That, 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 that. Ooh. Well, no, I mean, but well, you, know, you know what I mean. But I, 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 but not even that. But also in domestic violence cases, they go straight to what were their actions beforehand? What were they doing? What so the, were yeah, they? The, the you need, know, the need to is, narrow, narrativize these things that doesn't attach than, itself to other groups. Necessarily. For me, why did it take a month for these women to be found? You know, if this is really to me, it's really just deeply very sad. sad story, these yeah. two yeah. very young sisters in their twenties who. Um, there, you know, it has been established that they were seeking asylum, although the details of that are not clear. Mm. There's, you know, possibly they were here as students. No one is can be clear about why they were here in the first place. Yeah. But these two young girls in their twenties lay in their flat undiscovered for a month, and there are no clues about, you mm. know, why or how they died. And I, I'm like, these are just some basic. This is some basic mm. sort of information that you want to cover before you start going into crucifixes and you know there was an article parties yeah there was an article in the guardian today uh, a girl had come forward to say that she met the sisters at a party um for women only and how they discussed how um you know difficult it, it would be to be openly queer in Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and then suddenly they're getting um a quote from someone saying well yes if they you know f- um the girls fleeing Saudi Arabia because they were queer would have meant that they were a target for and it's like no hang on no one said that that happened <laughs> no, nothing, nothing has been, nothing yeah. has been you know, established later yeah. on yeah, why in, do you need that well, voice the, in there yeah. but also later on in the same article they say, they established Oh, one of them had a boyfriend, and that's possibly why they they came to no good. And it's like, what is going on? Yeah, I think it's a lot of conflicting, contradictory information in one article that feels like, like you actually like. I feel like you just didn't need that extra voice. Like you didn't need that kind of um, like the voice of the expert or yeah. the person who helps women but, flee. But but, but, but again, I mean, it, it gives a pattern of seriousness to. What is a very speculative story? Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, of you course. didn't. Need, we, ultimately, we didn't actually need any of that. Yeah, at the stage, we. Yeah. we uh, this story is. Um, I don't want to sound at all cold blooded. It is a genuine tragedy, but it's but it's one that um, is only useful. To, it's only worth making um, a huge number of stories out of if we can actually establish anything about what this these guys' lives actually were like. Yeah, um, precisely. As, as you say, it's it's all speculation. All that, that, that is sheeted home to me to slightly um, purient and, and, and not particularly um, edifying motivations in the media that I thought we'd sort of stop doing. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot of I, shotgun I, I, that's what information. I mean. And I thought like, yeah, I really thought that it was weird because I'm like, I felt like people don't report like this anymore. Mm, maybe I've been no. reading like, maybe I've been living in my own little bubble, but I was kind of a bit surprised that there was all this kind of like 
you know, all these little details like the crucifix. Did they denounce Islam? It's just like, wow. Yeah, it's like, too it's, much. It's, 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 the, it's the podcast. That again, was in an age. Uh, sorry, no. no, in an ABC article. Yeah, mm. and I was, yeah, that shocked me as well as like this the anonymous source coming out and saying that they were at a, you know, queer party. It's like... If, like, it, I just it, don't understand the relevance of some they of these went things. To, yeah, exactly. One like, party. They went to one party and one of them had a boyfriend, so now we're playing Guess Who's Queer. Like, I. Yeah. Like, yeah, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there are queer it's really it's, disappointing. It's, it's, a, it's a very podcastification of, again, young women's yeah. deaths. We really love a young woman victim and, oh, in the media. Yeah, and, and it's we, become we love a real who it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love details, I love true crime. Um, you know, it sounds pretty morbid saying that when there's obviously like this seriousness of it. News, but isn't yeah, it? but this you is know. a little bit. Yeah, this is kind of putting me off some of the reporting that I'm kind of like. Ugh, I don't think I can read anymore. I agree. I feel like it's it's a it's really sad. I you know at, at the heart of it, this is a really sad story, yeah. and they're not being honoured. These two sisters yeah. are not being honoured. Their existence, whatever their yeah. you know whatever their uh, uh, whatever the reason they were unable to find their community or you know yeah, have but- their have ha- create their lives in Sydney is sad. Yeah. The fact yeah. it took a month to find them is, is sad. Incredibly yeah. sad. And uh, all of that, they're not uh, being honoured. Their memories. Uh, not and, being and that's what I was going to say. When to let you off the hook a little bit in terms of the morbidity of, of yeah. liking true crime, true crime and and that kind of detailed um, you know uh, narrative nonfiction, yes, um, that can be very useful in terms of both illuminating and honouring you know the victims of of, of terrible yeah. circumstances, but also telling us a little bit about what it is to be a human being. Yeah, it can be very worthwhile in the way. If you've just got conjecture, you don't really have that. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, like definitely want to know more details around you know her like the visit from her mother like what the family obviously you can't just call up the family but it would be helpful to have a, a few more things that humanize them and kind of move away from the tragic circumstances which i feel every victim deserves mm. but now it's just yeah it seems to have just snowballed and gone to a different direction but you know just awful triple r on fm digital online on demand podcasts and via the app We're so excited to be joined by Michael Miller. Michael Miller is a foreign correspondent covering Australia, New Zealand Zealand and the Pacific for the Washington First. He's also the first Sydney Bureau Chief. Before joining the Post in 2015, he covered South Florida and the Caribbean for the Miami New Times. He has reported from almost a dozen countries and won several national journalism prizes, including the National Press Foundation's Fetty Reporting Award. And now he's on community radio with us. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I feel like my kind of burning question um, might seem trivial, but do you know about the Sydney-Melbourne rivalry? <laughs> oh, yes. I think, I think that was the, the, probably the first thing that uh, that people told me before coming here, and I've stepped in, into it a couple times on Twitter talking about potato scallops or uh, wedges <laughs> or whatever, whatever you call them. So yeah. um, I'm well aware. Yeah, that leads me to my next question. How come you didn't set up shop in Melbourne? Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good question. Um, yeah, there's no easy answer for that. I mean, my editor is based here in Sydney as well, so um. maybe I can blame it on him. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, look, Melbourne's a, a great place, and I've been lucky to go there a couple times for stories now, including the whole Djokovic saga yeah. a few months ago. 
Yeah. So uh, yeah, beautiful city, and I love I love both equally as my diplomatic. <laughs> yeah. We Very love diplomatic. a diplomatic journalist. <laughs> I imagine there's a fair bit of diplomacy involved in being a foreign correspondent. I'm really interested to know um, when you first took this role. I mean, it's um, in my, I still have in my head the idea of foreign foreign correspondent. You know, being a um, a country that is very different from ours. You know, and a non English speaking country. Potentially, where you know there's a there's a huge cultural difference, perhaps from from our own. When you were offered or when you wanted the role, this role, what is it you're looking for in in uh, you know coming to somewhere like Australia? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. Um, and you know, I have worked in some countries that uh, obviously you know don't speak English and and quite are you know are quite uh, different in in many ways. Um, I think. You know, for Australia, I think the 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 thing that is interesting to an American audience is kind of the similarities and the differences. So, um, you know, I think a lot of Americans have an idea of Australia in their head. Maybe they've thought about going there on vacation. Maybe they have. Maybe they've seen movies, which you know have uh, probably introduced some cliches in their minds about the place. <laughs> That's not enough. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of ways in which the countries are similar, um, but really different. And as a journalist, it's really interesting to kind of dive into those, you know, both countries have like a, an interesting relationship with kind of the, uh, I don't know if you'd call it the West and, and you know, the American West versus the outback in Australia, both countries have kind of fraught, uh, you know, racial histories and, and treatment of indigenous people. Um, you know, both countries uh, obviously are, are changing demographically, and that's mm-hmm. leading to some uh, kind of reaction against that in places. So, you know, there's lots of kind of similarities that are interesting to explore and lots of, you know, differences too. And some of those differences maybe uh, you kind of have to spend some time here to really get a sense of what those are. Like, um, yeah. you know, I, I got here shortly before kind of Australia shut down um, mm. about, you know, a year and a half ago because of the, the COVID outbreaks. Uh, and, um, you know, the the reaction was completely different. I mean, the, the way that people in Australia kind of, um, you know, were mostly quite uh, – happy to kind of comply with a lot of the orders and uh, and the vaccination rate was so high here. And I remember doing a story that took me to the border between New South Wales and South Australia and people were stranded in their cars, you know, for oh, that's uh, right. days, if not weeks, you know, waiting yeah. to get back over the border. And Yeah, they the were US, given 24 I mean, hours or something, weren't they, to... God, when you look back on at that, Christmas. So I can't remember those things. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, what were you going to yeah, say? Michael, I mean, in the States, what was the parallel... Well, I mean, I think in the U.S. it's just kind of, you know, we have uh, a Bill of Rights, obviously, so we have stronger kind of individual civil liberties protections, and that that, that kind of notion of being you know, prevented from crossing the state border is kind of pretty wild from an American perspective, but also to see people, you know, who are kind of complying with that in Australia. There's a lot more kind of trust in the government and mm-hmm. and acknowledgement of the role of government in people's lives here, you know, thinking of Medicare and universal mm-hmm. health care coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's really interesting to kind of get to know the country and get to understand the ways in which it's kind of similar but also, you know, quite different to the United States too. I mean, the flip side of that was it was phenomenal to see um, people marching in the streets in New York um, to save Australia from communism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's super interesting too, the way that um, 
things can get uh, warped, right? Or mm. the way in which, you know, extreme views and extremist groups can influence each other, mm. you know, around the world. Um, that kind of, you know, the media landscape has is, is changed a lot. And, uh, you know, it, it changes how I do my job as a foreign correspondent, too. Michael, um, thank you so much for joining us. This is Charlie. Um, just to go back to what you were saying about the kind of differences and similarities between the U.S. and Australia, I mean, I'd li- I'm really interested in the in the pitching process, I suppose, that you go through in terms of what you're going to kind of spend your time investigating. Um, ha- w- I guess, yeah, what is the Washington Post audience looking for from an Australian and obviously Asia-Pacific and more, in more general kind of correspondent? Uh, yeah, it's a great question, and it's one, honestly, that I kind of struggle with every morning, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Opening, opening the newspaper and, you know, reading it and kind of figuring out what might Americans might be interested in, you know, what might rise to the level that I would want to write about it. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, obviously, um, the climate bill has been much in the news the last mm-hmm. week or so. You know, that's a big issue in a way that has a lot of global importance, but, you know, that kind of the 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 bill itself and where the greens you know will support labor and things like that you know th- those minutia maybe are, is too much in the weeds for an american audience mm-hmm. but stepping back from that looking at that big issue is australia as a country that you know exports tons of coal and gas and other you know carbon uh you know uh, emissions essentially you know is the country really going to change tack and uh, and and really live up to labor's promise? You know that big question. I think is one that could be really interesting to Americans, right? Absolutely. So you know, it's really just trying to think about like the way I can tell stories. Can I tell them from a particular place? Can I ground them in a place with real people at the center of it in a way that's going to like jump out to Americans and, and help them kind of understand Australia and and again, you know, how the country is going through some of the same things, but also, you know, different than, than uh, the U.S. Yeah. I'm, I was really interested reading one of your pieces around um, gambling in Australia, and I felt that that was something that kind of perhaps would have surprised a lot of people, just the sheer volume of pokies that this country has and, you know, some of the reporting from, you know, the master I work for, for the age um, covered, you know, some of the corruption with, you know, the biggest gambling um, pundits. Um, what what was your kind of, um, what was the inspiration the reaction. And, and reaction actually to that piece from Americans? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good example of kind of the, uh, that kind of thought process, pitch process, you know, for me. So obviously I got here, my wife's Australian, so I had been to Australia maybe five, six times, but then moving here was really kind of when I realized just how, you know, ubiquitous pokies are, um, mm. just how, you know, and then And it sounds benign, pokies. Like, it mm. sounds like a yeah, great yeah. time. <laughs> exactly, right. Um, even the word itself, yeah. And then kind of diving into the data. And, you know, I, what I found is, like, you know, people at, at The Age, at the Sydney Morning Herald, at other publications, they, they are reporting on it. You know, they do write about mm. the Crown scandals. They write about you know, this issue fairly frequently. But, you know, as a foreign correspondent, I could kind of take a step back and write about the Mm. bigger picture and also try to put, like, real, everyday, ordinary Australians in that story to kind of show 
you know, that Australia really is an outlier when it comes to this. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. the, the response, I think, was pretty strong. Quite a quite a few people in the U.S. read it, and I think that was because, you know, it kind of surprised them, you know, yeah. that it didn't sit with maybe their idea of yeah. Australia, and, and it kind of took them by surprise. Is there, a, is there a, an equivalent over there, or is it not something that's as big, you know, in the States? Yeah, I mean, we, have, we call them slot machines, and I think they're mm. essentially the same thing. You know, there might be slight kind of variations, but um, for the most part, they're kind of confined to casinos. Yeah. And so uh, you don't really find them in your, like, corner pub the way that you do here. I mean, and just, people probably yeah. aren't ga- gambling excessively on every single sport game, and or probably, possibly are. Well, I mean, the online gambling is a huge other issue that's, you know, expanding in both countries and around the world. But, um, you know, it, it, the, what I saw here talking to people was just, you know, in Australia, there's a real kind of culture of, you know, going to your corner pub. You know, if you're a tradie, you stop at the pub on the way home or whatever it might be. Mm. And that, you know, they all have pokies in them. So they all they all provide this kind of temptation for people who, yeah. who might have a gambling problem to just feed their paycheck right in there. Yeah. Whereas in the U.S., you know, we've got casinos, we do have slot machines or pokies, but they tend to be like maybe one or two per state. You know, you might have to drive a few hours to get to them. Mm-hmm. So it's it kind of limits the amount of money <laughs> that you can actually lose in them. Uh, so that's why you see those you know huge losses uh, per capita in Australia, which are just you know the worst in the world. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was distracting there. There was another story I really wanted to ask you about. <laughs> We're sort of battling to, for questions in the studio, <laughs> so I'll try and be quick. Um, there's there's a great story that you that you turned into a little two parter um, that that was covered here as well, but it's such a an Australian story, and I'm really interested about the angle that you took, um, which is the the story in uh, Larimar um, and the dis- disappearance of Paddy Moriarty. Um, I, I was wondering if you could tell me about how you and your editor chose to cover that story because it could easily become a very sort of cliched Australian outback story um, and yeah interested to see how to hear how people reacted to that yeah I mean I think I'd heard about that town and about the mystery you know this town of like 12 or 13 people where one of them just disappeared and you know one evening and suddenly all the other people in town this dozen you know neighbors or suspects um, you know the body was never found the dog was never found like there's so many elements mm. of it which are just like a you know, like an Agatha Christie uh, novel or something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like you said, I mean, my job as a foreign correspondent is always to kind of think, you know, what's already been written? How can I tell this to an American audience, you know, in a way that is, you know, doesn't shy away from all the wonderful color and mystery of, of a town like that and a place like that, but also hopefully, you know, kind of avoids the, the cliches that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we can sometimes fall into. And, you know, with uh, the first story I did uh, from Laramie, I mean, part of it was me just trying to get a sense of, like, how the mystery had changed the town, you know, like, not, not just write about the mystery, but write about some kind of spin it forward a bit and write about where the town was in this moment when it was now kind of infamous for, mm-hmm. you know, this suspected murder. And, uh, you know, as I was kind of writing the story with the news peg of this uh, this hearing, you know, then all this news comes out about this guy, you know, apparently <laughs> kind of quasi-confessing to the murder. So, um, you know, I, I kind of try with many of my stories to do something a little different. Um, and, you know, then the, the follow-up was just a bit of, 
wow, like this just got even weirder and crazier. <laughs> I mean, I, this actually kind of hints at a thing that I really wanted to ask you about in terms of, I guess, again, going back a bit to the craft and the process of, of what it is that you do, especially when you first arrive in a place like Australia as a foreign correspondent. And, you know, it's a giant continent-sized island. Um, it's very diverse. It's got all these different kinds of stories. How do you acclimatize yourself to that? How do you make contacts that will get you both interesting political stories and interesting stories in the middle of the Northern Territory? Um, yeah, could you talk, talk us through that process a little bit? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it wasn't easy, certainly, because I was stuck in lockdown for the first, you know, sure, five, six sure. months or so. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, I had all these grand designs of traveling the country and going yeah, to every state or territory. And, uh, you know, a lot of that was kind of uh cut short because of um the lockdowns but uh you know i was writing about covid every day instead but um yeah i mean honestly it's uh it's not an easy process you know there's um uh people are always asking me kind of what i think of the australian you know media landscape and i think they're always expecting me to give like a really negative answer (laughs) my answer is actually like there's a lot of really talented hungry young journalists and they don't tend to miss that many stories like you know, they, they tend to kind of write, they, they touch on all the stories. But for me, like, I find that a lot of them aren't kind of done with, with the time and the, you know, maybe the resources or the just the kind of, you know, maybe they have to write a story every day or a story every other day yeah, or new cycle two stories general, a day. Yeah. And so, like, I can try to take a little bit of a different approach, tell it from a little bit higher altitude, maybe spend a little bit more time there. And, uh, and, you know, try to tell them in ways that are a little bit, you know, are, are gripping and even narrative, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's something I, I certainly did a lot of my previous job um, at the Washington Post. You know, try to tell kind of narrative stories, like stories with arcs that kind of take people through a day or someone's life or whatever it might be. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of just like looking for, you know, the, the great work that journalists are already doing and then finding different ways to kind of dive into that deeper or, or tell it in a different way and, and be a little creative too. Mm. Do you think there needs to be more time given to journalists to do these kind of long form or even kind of like spend a bit more time that you have the time to do? Do you think Australia is missing out on that kind of journalism because, you know, it's the, that the opportunity, news yeah. The, the stretched op- newsrooms. And, yeah, but yeah. you see landscapes like you know, um, you know, the UK, you know, North America, that really lend itself to that kind of journalism. Do you think that there should be a focus on that as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Australia could do with a lot more of that. I mean, it does have some. It's really encouraging to see, you know, uh, the the Saturday paper, the yeah. monthly, um, you know, doing some, some and the good great weekend. work like that. Yeah, exactly. Good weekend, precisely. I mean, all doing, you know, longer form stuff that's really, really excellent. Um, but, you know, it's, like you said, it's a big country. It's a diverse country. And um, I find that, you know, Australians, uh, they have really interesting voices, you know, they just really, even the, just the way that they talk, you know, can be really <laughs> fascinating. The idioms, What are you saying? Uh, <laughs> no, I just think, uh, you know, I come from kind of the Midwest in Missouri and uh, Missouri. Yeah, Missouri, exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I just, I've always found that interesting about the United States, the different kind of uh, yeah. ways that people have of speaking, different idioms. And, and Australians are like, they're raconteurs. Like, they like to tell a good story. And yeah. I think, 
you know, if, if journalists here could maybe get a bit more time to dive into the stories and really, like, bring them alive, you know, I, I, I find that I, I read a lot of stories that will touch on a really important subject, and then they'll have, you know, an expert quoted in paragraph two or three, and that expert will be talking about how this issue impacts people, right? Mm. But then uh, they don't actually have any of the people impacted, yeah. you know, yeah. in the story, 100%. right? Yeah. And so, you know, it, it takes time. It's really tough to kind of track those people down yeah. and to, you know, get confidence, you know, you know, from them and you to tell their story. Uh, that's not easy. And so, you know, I totally commiserate with journalists who, who don't have time to do that. But I think, you know, if publications can spare a, yeah. some more time for them, it, it'd really pay off. Michael, I know you uh, press for time, but we're going to just squeeze in a couple more questions if you don't mind, because I do know that you are not uh, the foreign foreign correspondent just for Australia. (laughs) Much as we have impressed upon that (laughs) upon our listeners, I'm really interested to see a couple of articles from you sort of um, uh, emerging now about um, the role of China in the region, and I'm wondering what um, you know what the perspective is. Obviously, with the the kind of um, you know the in in terms of the state of play with the US and China, what sort of um, perspective are you required to take, or do you feel you need to? How do you need to approach that for the audience in Washington for the Washington Post audience? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good question, and um, I actually just took a Pacific uh, trip. I can't really talk too much about it, but hopefully, you know, I'll come back on in a week or two and tell you more about it. But, you know, I think um, it's, uh, you know, it's it's tough because, again, I'm uh, – obviously there is kind of a real sense of great power competition in the Pacific right now, um, mm-hmm. you know, with China, with the United States, Australia involved as well. Um, but at the same time – you know, I'm always wary of uh, of just kind of talking about countries as if they're, you know, pieces of, uh, you know, on a chessboard or something, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, obviously there's, you know, many people uh, there, and I, I always try to put the, the people at the center of my story as much as possible. And so it's really hard to write about, you know, Pacific Island nations, for example, without kind of going there. And uh, a lot of them have been closed until recently. So it's... Um, it's certainly something I, I want to do more reporting on here in the in the next uh, you know six months or year, and uh, it's part of my coverage area. And you know, New Zealand is as well. I haven't been there yet either. Um, so it's yeah, it's tough because you want to avoid the kind of uh, cliches about uh, you know geopolitics, but mm-hmm. but also you know it it really is playing out very close to Australian shores, and there really are security concerns at play. Um, so hopefully I can kind of meld some of that coverage with um, how it affects, you know, people on the ground. Yeah. Um, the last question I have is, you know, we're seeing kind of, it's interesting kind of like with the these, this big narrative at the moment, you know, the China-Australia and U.S. relations um, and a kind of, I'm interested to know your opinion on kind of, Ameri- well, the U.S. is, you know, bolstering their efforts in this region. You know, the appointment of Caroline Kennedy felt like to me was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a star move. Um, do you think, um, like, is the US kind of doing all of this stuff um, in preparation for something? Um, what Give the listeners something to, yeah. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> in your role as is, a foreign is, correspondent, yeah. Yeah. I'll be soon to war. Look, yeah. I'm just asking, and what does that mean for a journalist? Like, does that mean you yeah. stay for a little bit longer? You know, I'm basically, it's my roundabout way of saying Australia's looking a little bit sexier, looking a little <laughs> bit more interesting beyond kangaroos and koalas. You know, so is this something that people should be keeping an eye on in terms of are we going to see more, um, you know, mastheads rock up to Australia because Australia's becoming some kind of key player? Uh, I mean, look, I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, Australia is becoming, you know, a bit sexier on the global stage because of this. I mean, I think there's no doubting that, um, that you know, the Biden administration has been talking about pivoting to, to Asia for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. The Indo-Pacific, you know, we're hearing that term yeah. quite a lot, right? I mean, the Biden administration also wanted to kind of pivot to, to Asia, but didn't, wasn't really able to. So, you know, I think there's no doubt that, you know, this kind of geopolitical competition is going on, and, and it does mean that Australia, you know, is kind of more important on a on a international stage, right? I mean, just look at the nuclear propelled submarine deal August yeah. that we had last year. I mean, that was that was a big deal, and that's you know, it's not <laughs> it's not every day that that type of technology is shared um, with another country. So, mm. I think it is fair to say that Australia is you know much more kind of. Uh, relevant. Yeah, a, yeah, much more relevant, exactly, <laughs> yeah. on that global stage right now. I love that, that you mentioned that in terms of our um, standing on a global stage and I just start sniggering at the the whole um, way that it played out. The I think, August, yes, Yeah, yeah, that's saga. the only thing that we have to get over is our own sense of um, self-deprecation. It's the little but, guy syndrome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, Michael, we know, I know you have a pressing engagement. Thank you so much for joining us. We've been talking to Michael Miller, who's the Australia and... Um, oh, Paci- Asia Pacific. Asia Not Pacific. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that I, I'm just so focused on it. Australia, look at me. Definitely little guy syndrome. <laughs> Asia Pacific, Australia and New Zealand correspondent for the Washington Post. I hope you'll join us again sometime, Michael. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank Thanks so much, you. Michael. Bye. Triple R. Would you guys be a foreign correspondent? Is that a silly question? Um, I feel like it'd be hard for some. Like, like let's say, where, where are the options? <laughs> we know. Well, we were just saying off air that he's got a pretty good gig, yeah. Michael. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I... In, in Australia. I guess if, whenever you have the time as a journalist to s- be able to have a bit more time to write um, and write like narrative type of style, that's like amazing. You, yeah. you have the time to really dig deep into something and You're you don't not- have to worry about needing to break a story. Yeah. You don't have to do the rounds. Like you don't have to, you don't have the stress of like just, you know, making sure to get a story done so you can focus on what you really want to do. I, I feel like yeah. I think, you don't I think- have four hours to deliver. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, was, I, was, I was thinking that. Najma and I as as, as daily jobbing journos, yeah. <laughs> I think sort of wiped a tear from our eye as Michael was describing his work yeah. process. And you know, he's, and he's very, you know, this is he's very acknowledging of, of his role and, and what that what that yeah. brings. Um, but yes, no, the I mean, the idea of being a a foreign correspondent for a, a masthead as as prestigious and internationally known as the Washington Post yeah. in a country like Australia, or actually, to be honest, 
in most places, I think is a, is a bit of a... Also, the idea he's been here for, for a bit over a year, and the idea that you'll be there not just as someone who... So, for example, Crikey, um, from time to time, will cover foreign events. We, we, we sent um, Amber Schultz, who did amazing work um, from the borders of, of Ukraine. Yeah. Um, uh, earlier this year, and we we frequently send Guy Rundle off to the US to cover elections there, and, and it produces great work. But um, there is there is I think a um, market difference between you are sent there on a very limited budget for a month, and you've got to produce as much as you can to make that money yeah, worthwhile. Yeah. To you are embedded in that country, you have an editor with you. You're there for as long as that that post lasts. That that is the stuff of dreams. You the know? Stuff of dreams. It's the stuff that people go into journalism yeah. for. Um, whereas the question of whether I would do it, guys, mm. I live with mum. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't imagine being out on the mean streets of London trying to file stories. God, I'm sorry, but like it also comes down to like you know that's something that also like you know a lot of men can do you know some people mm, feel that you know and especially the certain countries that you know black folk don't want to go to like myself <laughs> you know mm, we don't mm. just want to be a foreign correspondent everywhere you know and mm. i think yeah there's all these conditional things once you start adding how your your the world shapes your experience 100% and i think yeah. for um yeah people you know women people of color people um who are not um of a disability, um, I think, yeah, things start to get a little bit more, you know, it's a hard question to answer because you're like, in theory, yes. (laughs) But let's see how this actually play out. Like, I, you know, we Mm. all love Hemingway and his time in Cuba, but at the same time it's like, Hold up. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. who would be safe in, Spain, in Cuba and who wouldn't? Front. Yeah, yeah, you know. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, uh, yes, uh, exactly. But I think to the Middle the... East, probably for someone like myself, I feel like I would be able to, you know, if I were to live in, um, if I were to be a foreign correspondent in, you know, somewhere like, you know, Saudi or, um, you know, Beirut. So, like, I feel like I, I feel oh, like Beirut I could, like, would be amazing. Yeah, yeah but right, not right well, now. Well, actually, no, no, that's not true. I'm thinking of when I went there many years ago. But um, <laughs> you're thinking of the party. <laughs> I was back in my party days. Yes, uh, not the, quite the same right now. Yeah. Um, but also, to your point, in the Middle East, the kinds of stories that you would have to produce for an Australian audience yeah. as well. We were talking about the story yeah, of yeah. the Saudi girls before. You might feel, you know, it might be hard to yeah. actually produce the sorts of stories that you're expected to when you are getting to know yeah. a, and especially, a community and yeah. seeing their own, their real lived experience. Exactly. You know? And you'd be, you'd have to move with such sensitivity. And I know Michael spoke about, you know, trying to not have those cliches in his mm. reporting of Australia, but those aren't bad cliches. Australians yeah. are seen as larrikins. They're seen as like, you know, jokers. It's all fun and sun and koalas and cuddly things in, in the world stage. But for somewhere like, you know, a country in the Middle East, they have been villainized. Mm. Like people mm-hmm. don't either villainize or victimize. So to walk that line, I feel like that would be such a difficult job. Yeah, I'm, I'm currently reading um, the Place at the End of the Earth, which is a, a collection of essays uh, written by uh, Janine Di Giovanni, uh, who's a, a foreign correspondent who wrote for a, a variety right. of, of, of publications, um, and, and, and still does. And it, 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 again, it is one of those things that you sort of slightly you feel a certain melancholy right when she talks about her process in the introduction yeah. saying that the amount of support and 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 financial backing that she was given by various publications as a freelancer to go into the yeah. I mean this isn't to take nothing away from the bravery nuance um yeah 
assiduous quality of her reporting. It is incredible stuff, and it deserved the support it got. Another another one I always think of is like people like A.A. Yeah, Gill, who write this incredible work because they have yeah. the time and the backing to do it. Um, that That is, as you say, something that is much, much more challenging for for, for it's not it's not available to everyone to yeah. to have those conditions when they go overseas. Yeah, and conversely, though, um, Australians that are foreign correspondents, they don't do the stuff that the Mike Millers do. Mm. Like they, I've, I haven't seen a long form. Like this is no like not to you know like no tea, you know, no shade. I yeah, mean, this is no is. shade at all. But I think it's because you know there's bigger things happening, and obviously you want like let's say the UK, like you need to be there when Boris Johnson's like you know resigning, mm. and there's the, these like kind of massive world events happening. But go down to Essex and write some stuff about well, what's going on there. I mean, I mean, I mean you know, I, I would love if my, my my ancestral home of Essex got more. <laughs> Got more attention in the um, in the Australian press. I think it's an, it's an interesting question, and I don't know the answer to this. I think I'm just sort of putting it out there. Is is that because that's not the ambition of the journalists themselves to write that kind of work, yeah. or is there no appetite from the publications to, to, to cover it? Or exactly, yeah, is it, is I feel the latter probably. Yeah, you wouldn't want to write so, these yeah. crazy, amazing stories about people living their lives in a place you, you kind of have just rocked up. Yeah, the, yeah. So I don't mm-hmm. think it's yeah. But not only that, I think, I mean, there there are enough Australians already living in the world that if there was an appetite for those stories, you would be able to source them. I think it's Mm -hmm. more that our notion of a foreign correspondent is helmet, flak jacket, you know, war zone. Yeah, yeah. um, You know, that's absolutely the typical, in my mind, you know, four corners. Yeah, 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 (laughs) of course. Yeah, 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 reporting from under fire. Yeah, Um, you know, copying shit on on the Israeli-Palestine border. Yes. <laughs> you know, keep well, shifting I mean, every year. They, they, but they wouldn't say that. They, they wouldn't be allowed to acknowledge that there is a border. No, no, yeah. but obviously yeah, sorry, it yeah, shifts yeah, every year yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, so you yeah, know yeah, that too. Or <laughs> someone, someone copying shit for getting a massage in Kiev. Yeah. Or oh yeah, my yeah. god. And, 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 Why would I you mean, post that? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, the... I think this is a, there's a bit of a dividing line oh, in, in the, the studio about that one. I think, I mean, but it, it, it is actually a, a damn shame because, I mean, because um, journalism is more than just hard news and there is so much value to me. And part of the reason that I ever wanted to be a journalist or a writer in the first place is the the sheer beauty of humanity. Yeah. And, and the, the what you can tell people about what it is to be alive by just describing in in yeah. basic terms what it is to live in a different country yeah. whether that and and that is as true as rep- from reporting from Essex or Shoreditch <laughs> or Yorkshire as it is oi, reporting oi. from from Somalia you know it's like yeah. that that's that is a hugely worthwhile point that I that I think Australian journalism I think it's the. It was as soon as the the budgets got shrunk, that was the first thing to go, and I think that's a damn yeah. shame. Well, I think it's that you can look at the effects of that in terms of how divisive culturally things have become in reporting. You know, you, yeah. there's, you know, it's just kind of getting all a bit tedious. Cancel culture and this and that, and yeah. you know, you can't. But I think that's a whole world too, not just. An oh, Australian absolutely! Thing, yeah. But perhaps if there was more. Of, you know, if we were seeing more reporting yeah, from, you know, just daily yeah. life reporting from different parts of the world, mm. yeah. you know. You know what I I really, really liked when Michael mentioned that at 
it, the heart of his stories are humans. Yeah. yeah. And that is yeah, so absolutely. important because mm-hmm. that's what makes you click. You know, that's what makes you go, oh, I want to read about this person doing this. Like, mm-hmm. that's interesting. And, like, when you really kind of get into and, – and that's where I, w- I studied writing and I always thought that I would go into journalism. But my obviously biggest, you know, passion in life was to, you know, strive to be a novel writer. And I think first and foremost it comes from, um, you know, just wanting to – dissect the human condition Mm -hmm. and, you know, how we're all basically the same. God, that was earnest. (laughs) (laughs) No place for earnest. But even in the kind of atrocities (laughs) in humans and, uh, you know, the best in humans, I feel like, you know, it kind of, at the end of it, you know, to be able to understand those things is to be able to understand humanity. I've done it again. Somebody I love the way the you've come a full 360 tonight because um, the, I love I love that you've come to this, arrived at this point. But I think that is exactly what the, you know, to the heart of it, what was so kind of romantic but also engaging with what Michael was talking about, yeah. that, you know, mm-hmm. to go somewhere new, that relatively new and take your skills as a journalist yeah. and just find really interesting human yeah. stories yeah. without all of the baggage and of the tw- of the news cycle and trying yeah. to find an angle that's relevant yeah. when mm-hmm. it's being done to death by every other news organisation. Yeah. There is something really yeah. pure about that. Yeah. There's, um, actually, the story, I, I, I tell this story a lot talking about the, the, the romance angle, um, the thing that I'd always really liked Crikey when I was reading it, you know, studying journalism, um, but the thing that made me think this is the place I'd like to write for more than any other um, is a piece by Guy Rundle that he did when he was covering the 2014 midterms in the mm. US. Um, it's him catching a bus into Seattle and finding the car park where Kurt Cobain first heard punk music. Oh, my God. It's it's him It's him tracking <laughs> down this this strange little place in history yeah. where he'd read about it in, in Cobain's diaries when they'd been published a few years earlier. Yeah. And he went, I've just never been able to stop thinking about someone being made in an instant. And because of the way that culture moved in that way and that time, it took, it was 1986, punk had been around for eight years, but there's no internet. There's not alternative yeah. radio in, in, in Aberdeen, which is where he lives. This is the first he's hearing of it, and he's finding himself and setting off in motion the next big yeah. chunk of culture. I won't go too much. I mean, I'm getting too much into the story. the The point was that is a, is what you can do if you're given the time and space yeah. to operate to to follow a, a strange idea and operate within an area where you're not fighting anyone else for the scoop. Yeah. You can. Produce like transcendent when you can pieces be a of writer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do Do you think that's available to Australian journalists as much now, or do you think it's really hard to find those gigs? Or... It's It's very tough. It's very tough. And also, you have to have. I mean, so so someone like Rundle can do it because he has the reputation. Because people know he can pull off. Yeah. This it's kind like of getting. Thing. It's like getting on the property ladder. If you started <laughs> yeah, yeah, in yeah. 1986, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Um, I think but there's something but, but, to be yeah. said about though, but like the most important thing is to be able to get those skills, like to be able to really get the the core skills that your bread and butter journo does, mm-hmm. like has. And um, because I feel like journalism is one of those things that when you have the basic skills and when you've applied it in many a scenario, I feel that then you can go off and try to, you know, that's why it's so hard to become a foreign correspondent. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
yeah, they for just sure. give it to everybody. Like I feel like you need to be able to test your skills in different environments um, and different circumstances. You need to be able to have, you know, covered an election, you know. You need to be able to have got some things wrong. You mm, know, yeah. you need to be able to kind of like stumbled across the, the way because I, this is like I feel like especially with um, the kind of like narrative, you know, um, journalism, I feel like – you really have to have your shit together. Like yeah. you really got to, mm-hmm. and also I feel like you got to be a little. You got to be a bit weathered. You got to have lived life a little bit to understand human beings. Like you, you have to be just... able to self edit as well and yeah. know what a what a what a reader is going to engage with and and what is actually just a little bit of navel gazing. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. No, um, I definitely think you need to live a little to be able to do those jobs. <laughs> Should we discuss anything else before we leave? <laughs> I mean, I, I did want to briefly talk about um, the conclusion of the world's dumbest defamation case. Um, actually, well, there's, there's, there's a bit of competition this week because we've, we've got Alex Jones out there as well. But oh, yeah. given that we are an Australian um, uh, news thing, I think we should cover the, the Australian one. Uh, on Tuesday, we came to the conclusion of the, the mutual defamation action between uh, Western Australian Premier Mark McGowan and um, Agent of Chaos slash mining billionaire Clive Palmer. It's basically just that Spider-Man meme, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, my yeah, God, yeah. I'm dying. <laughs> but both of them have a huge amount of money behind them. Oh, my God. Um, so for those of you who weren't following it, and I assume that's, that's a decent chunk of you as it happened in Perth. And <laughs> You're looking I, at I, it. I, I, yeah, I, I follow it very closely. Are like, but we've just glazed over. Charlie is the man when it comes. Uh, Well, I mean, I think it it just it really does uh, touch on a lot of the things that uh, I think we on the show find very interesting. There's obviously defamation law and, and how out of control it is in Australia and how wealthy people can silence any kind of discussion about yes. their doings yep. via that process. There's an element of that. It's also another thing that I think makes our hearts sing, which is the phrase texts read in court. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I love first source material. Yes, oh, yeah. yes. So, in, so over the course of this um, court case, uh, we had a, a, a tranche of, of beautiful texts read uh, from Mark McGowan to various sources. Um, it, one of the things that he said in these texts was that Palmer was the worst Australian who's not currently in jail, which is great. It had also <laughs> responses from West Australia's Attorney General, John Quigley, who actually I, I, I dealt with a few times back in, back in WA, um, who um, replied to McGowan, uh, I just want you to know that I am not making love in the sweet hours of before dawn and said I'm worrying about how to defeat Clive. <laughs> So Thank you for that, John. Um, so there's oh a lot of. Oh my god, that is unhinged. <laughs> it's genuinely unhinged. Like, but again, it's, it's, you know what that reminds me of? Remember the sugar baby scandal where one of the um, – who was it? It was like the environment <laughs> – not environment, it's agriculture, of course. Yeah. And he texted saying, I know oh, how to right. fly a plane, ride a horse and, that's and right. give you a good scene to. Oh, yeah. Andrew <laughs> – I, I shouldn't guess his name. No, Andrew Broad, I believe so... his name is. National. And he's like, do you like uh, um, right. he's like, do you like Aussie accents? Because she's like, yeah. You know, she's probably <laughs> thinking – for how much? And I like most things. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to whisper in your ear, pull you close to me, whisper in your ear, g'day, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Precisely Just, how yeah. you would have said it. <laughs> Just like James Bond was. Um, <laughs> I, so suave, these Australian men. <laughs> I'm going to very quickly just round off the old uh, Death of O case. Because I think the, the other thing that's really interesting about it is, is that it showed... The uh, complicity and the coziness between um, Mark McGowan 
and Kerry John, Stokes. Kerry Stokes, yeah. who yeah. is the um, kind You're of... getting distracted, Charlie, by the Sugar Babes conversation. Yeah, well, I'm still there. <laughs> uh, what? Uh, I don't know if I was getting distracted by that. <laughs> Um, Garrett Stokes, um, who is the yes the owner of, of the West Australian and and Seven West Media, so kind of the, the he is to Western Australia what Rupert Murdoch is to Australia, but actually more so. He he has a higher chunk of the media media landscape in WA, and some of the the, the chumminess and the coziness between the two of them is is genuinely quite. Um, quite worrying to see. Anyway, I can't really go into the details of it now because we've come to You've got the end seconds. of the show. Uh, but well, anyway, anyway the, 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 outcome. The, the outcome was that, um, as you would kind of expect, it was demonstrably true that both McGowan and Palmer had d- d- defamed one another. The thing that was really Hence funny... the Spider-Man meme. Yes. Um, and they both had to give each other money, which is very funny. What a waste the, of lawyerly what, what time and money. waste of time. The, the funny thing that came out of it was that the... the Justice said at the end of it, if anything, McGowan's McGowan can't claim that he's had his reputation ruined. If anything, fighting with Clive Palmer has enhanced his reputation. It's true. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Nadge Samble, at Lily Juice, and at The Shuffle Diary. You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via On Demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this. <laughs>